Welcome to a mathematical basis for reality. Bruce, I think you should tell them that Physical Truth is a book on mathematics and philosophy, and that it's a good story. Uh, what is truth? And does it really matter? Actually, more than that, is what is our understanding of truth? And if we have something like truth, and we have a misunderstanding of what we mean by truth, and believe me, that may sound kind of crazy to talk about. I mean, something's either true or it's not. But if there is a misunderstanding of what we mean by what exactly truth is, then it can cause all sorts of confusion. We can end up in, in some pretty ridiculous places. The reason I'm talking about this is I was at a and AAAS conference, American Astronomical Society conference down in San Diego. And on the panel, there was a panel discussion, which was sort of a town hall meeting, on primarily cosmology, I guess, and the state of modern physics. And one of the people on the panel was a chap by the name of uh, Dr. Sean Carroll from, I believe, Stanford University. And he was making some points, or he had made a talk and a point about asking for basically non-empirical validation. Now that was it. It was non-empirical validation. And everyone was very confused about it, including myself. What in the world was that? did he mean by that? Because there are equivalences between uh, empiricism and validation, and they really kind of mean the same thing. And according to etymology or an etymological approach, if we replace let's say, the symbol of, um, <clears throat> of validation or being valid with the symbol of empiricism, we end up requesting something like invalid validity or non-empirical empiricism, which is gibberish. I think another thing I was seeing, and this is, relates to this chapter on equality. This is chapter two regarding equality, and I'm going to go about with, with what I mean by equality and looking at things like definitions. Now, I was seeing something else where, where uh, Dr. Carroll was talking about, or writing actually, uh, something about whether or not uh, an action was self-evident, or he was talking about something being self-evident and, and using that in an axiomatic approach, and seeing that something wasn't really self-evident, therefore it couldn't be, if you like, an axiom. And I rather strongly disagree, because I don't really care if a, an axiom is self-evident or not. It makes no difference. I've stated that an axiom is uh, a truth or an unprovable truth. Uh, by that, do we mean that it's like inexactly true or not? And in reality, it doesn't matter because we're outside the box here, or we're on the boundary of the box in defining what's in the box, or we're at the foundation. Um, it really has nothing to do with truth. Um, when I was in grade four, we were very strongly into Euclidean uh, geometry, and there we would be very careful about our definitions. I don't know why you would have grade four children doing this, but hey, our teacher, by the name, her name was Miss Arnold, I remember her, and best teacher I ever had. She was remarkably adamant that we were not allowed to have rulers that actually had numbers on them. We had to use popsicle sticks just to measure it so that we could make the constructions, which were just a straight line and a compass, and we had to construct proofs. 
at that time when we defined something, we were very, very careful to define it, and we all knew that the definition didn't really matter, even though it was very important. So <laughs> this contradiction basically says that, uh, or this contradiction means that uh, we need to find something that is useful. And it's useful for the future construction of whatever it is that we are trying to build. So if we were building, let's say, a foundation for an office building, foundation for a house, they are two different things, two different, if you like, foundations that go with it. So we may be looking at something and define it one way uh, for one particular type of construction and define it another way for a different kind of construction. And both definitions may be useful for our purpose. If we want to find a general definition of something, that's fine, we look for a definition, that is, let's say, an understanding that we have with this, gen this definition, then we stick to it. This is what the definition means in a way that is, is self-consistent, non-circular, and does not use the words, is like. Basically, then, uh, if it meets this, this particular requirement, it gives us a straightforward look at what we're talking about. And in terms of science, we can then create uh, experiments and so forth to find out the consequences of uh, what we're trying to find. But our definition is very important. We stick to it. We can change the definitions later on. We can look at these definitions later on. The axioms of Euclid have stood the test of scrutiny for 2,500 years. They've been the foundation of mathematics all the way along, and I'm taking a look at their reestablishment. We see that within the writings of Schopen, uh, Schopenhauer that there should be an attack on the axioms. We should totally tear down the axioms. An examination of the axioms, yeah, very, very important. I think that uh, before we make such a drastic move, such as get rid of them, such as through the use of uh, Russell's Paradox, some work by Euler, and uh, looking at Godel's incompleteness theorem and so forth, we, we must take all these things into account. But then to say that truth very simply doesn't exist, simply because... Uh, you've you found, let's say, a paradox that can be resolved doesn't make any sense at all. And we've gone very far off in a very wrong direction, and, and we're in darkness. And I think it's time that we brought ourselves back. So when I'm talking about something like equality and approaching Euclid's first axiom, I'm approaching it by taking a look at the definition of what we mean by equality. And there are ways that uh, we can define equality within commonly to our understanding and meaning. And then there are things that may look the same, but they aren't equal. We can't use them in terms of equality. So we look at something like equality uh, and leading up to the axiom, and we make a definition that in some way is useful. So we find that this is a useful definition. One of the best examples I've seen is the definition of a straight line. Now, we've all seen the definition of a straight line. definition of a straight line is simply the shortest distance between two points. We, we look at this. We have a flat surface. We see the definition of a... Uh, of, um, we see two points, let's say, on a flat surface. We see a straight line going between them. And then we have a major problem with this because it be, very quickly becomes not very useful because how do we know a line is straight? Well, we have to find all possible lines between two points or an infinite number of them and then find that one, which is the shortest. Uh, take the Jacobian, I guess. And it becomes difficult. So we make a better definition. Let's say 
we make a definition that says that a straight line is a line of a constant slope, or it is a line of a constant direction. Now, in this way, we find that when we start to get to Ramanian curvature, we look at curved surfaces, we have an understanding of what we mean by a straight line. We have a straight line, we know it's straight because it doesn't change direction. And we can even use concepts of straightness according to holding some particular parameter, such as time or some particular spatial dimension, constant while we do variables, we vary other things and so forth, and be able to take a look at, if you like, the straightness of a line or what we mean by a measure, and this becomes much, much more important. So if we define a line, if we define a straight line as the shortest distance between two points, we quickly run into a few problems. If we then say, well, look, the, the definition is not really that important. It's just that everything's based on it. Uh, if we then go, well, let's look for a much better definition of a straight line. Let's call a straight line something like, it's, it's a line, I, the, the path that is traced out, but it, it's uh, a line is a line of a constant slope or a path that, that uh, doesn't change direction. And therefore, we have, a, uh, we have a, a much more useful definition of what we mean by a straight line. Everything, if we, if we look at a definition, it doesn't mean that we are held hard and fast to something like what a straight line is or hard and fast to our original definitions. If we now go on and say, well, looking at this definition, definition of straight line is shortest distance between two points, is that self-evident? If we look at something else and say that a straight line happens to be a line of a constant slope, or a straight line happens to be a path uh, that does not change direction. And then, of course, we have to determine what we mean by direction or direction in this way. So it may be a straight line in X and not a straight line in Y, which is okay. This may be very, very useful. If we are, are looking at such things, does the idea that something is self-evident have any importance at all? And in reality, no. It doesn't matter. We can make the definition of something whatever we like. There are some people, for example, look at a stone, and they may say, okay, this is a stone, geologically, we give it some sort of definition, some sort of uh, uh, geological item, but we define a rock or a stone, and someone else may come along and say, well, it's not really a rock, it's a pig, or it's a horse, or something like that, which is fine, people can define this however they wish to see it and however they wish to perceive it, but it depends on whether or not that is a useful definition or not. We may, there's a, the classic, classic uh, applied mathematics joke of, of an applied mathematician goes on to a, a dairy farm and does a whole mess of studies and then afterwards calls all the management in of the dairy farm and says, okay, well, we have a theory. And the first thing I want you to do is, is to uh, basically assume that we have a spherical cow. This... Um, for those of you who get the joke, this is uh, basically a point that, okay, we assume certain things off the beginning and we just let it go. We assume that. Or we may say, well, a cow is some spherical object filled with milk and we'll go from there because this is a useful definition where we go. But the entire, the basis and the entirety of the construction of this applied model, mathematical model of a dairy farm would then depend on the applicability of the original definitions of cows being spherical objects that are filled with milk. 
and I think you can see where I'm going with this, if I'm going to start to define equality, and I'm going to use that to begin to approach the building, if you like, of the first axiom of Euclid, then once we continue on from that, the entire thing then gets based on this idea or concept of what we mean by equality, which I'm basing on something like uh, replacement, for example. So that's that's what I really want to um, want to underline in why I am doing this, that we're not building something out of of let us say. Uh, something that's super rigid and cannot be altered or changed. Our understanding of the universe changes all the time. The universe doesn't change because our understanding of it changes. This we know, uh, or as Einstein say, you can't simply change. You can't simply change all the laws of physics simply because you're changing your coordinate system. This was uh, in in his classic uh, 1915 paper on uh, prerequisites of the general theory of relativity. I will be talking later regarding the role of our perceptions, uh, and they are important to us because that's how we see the universe, that's how we see things around us. But we know there is a difference between our perceptions of the universe and the universe itself, and we, we have to look, does the universe itself actually exist? And then we come into something called reality. And is there a reality? And we begin with something like truth. And we find, is there a truth? Well, yes, there is. That the nothing exists. And even if the nothing exists, then nothing exists. So that nothingness must exist. If there is this truth, and truth actually exists, is there a relationship between truth and reality? And if we discover, well, truth exists, therefore reality must exist, or is there a reality and, and therefore truth exists, and so on. These are things that I'm asking, and this is where we're going with this. So well, we'll continue on, and let us take a look at equality. Chapter 2, Equality. Geometrically, if two triangles can be placed on top of one another, so that they coincide, they're said to be congruent reference number four. If so, then one triangle can replace the other. If there are explicit conditions, an entity can be replaced by another. If conditions are considered as a boundary and entities meet these conditions, we say these entities are within this boundary and thereby form a space. All entities which can replace each other within this space are said to be equal under the restrictions of the conditions described by the boundary. For example, let there be a ruler 10 centimeters long. We may measure something that is 10 centimeters in length using this ruler. However, let us say we also have two sticks, each 5 centimeters in length. If we combine the lengths of the two sticks, we have a length that can replace the 10 centimeter ruler. Therefore, under the condition of length, however we wish to define it, the two sticks are equal in length to the ruler. Nevertheless, under the conditions of counting, or number, the ruler is not equal to the sticks. The number of the ruler, one, does not replace the number of sticks, two. There is one ruler and two sticks. But under the conditions of length, the ruler and combination of two sticks are equal. In the space bounded by considerations of length, any combination of anything having length that can be replaced by each other are equal in length. We see that in bounded space, so described, that if things can replace each other, then they are equal. Furthermore, all things that can replace a particular entity within the specified boundary can replace each other. 
From this, we deduce that all things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Equality requires condition. Higher restrictions of the boundary conditions lead to congruence and various definitions of congruence and resultant properties. We see that this is nothing more than an axiom of Euclid. We define an axiom as an unprovable truth, a proof that is a resultant derivation uh, through defined and substantiated steps to a conclusion from a set of axioms. Consider, uh, considering the field of elements and operations, we say that a proof derives mathematical truths. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you liked what you heard, you may subscribe in your podcast provider and perhaps share in various social media sites. Bruce has promised he won't change the links anymore and screw up trying to find the next episode. Please enjoy the rest of your day and may everything work out for the best. We try to have a new podcast every Saturday, so see you next week.